The Wiser Podcast. Conversations, public talks, and audio essays from the Witz Institute for Social and Economic Research. Hello, and welcome back to The Wiser Podcast. I'm Cizu Mbofu-Walsh. Shakiru Adebayo is a sessional lecturer in the Department of African Literature at Witz and postdoctoral fellow at Wiser. In this podcast, he explores the multiple melancholies associated with the COVID-19 pandemic. In this podcast, I'm going to be talking about what I am describing as COVID-19 melancholy. I am going to be taking you through a personal journey, my own dealings with melancholy, and how that led to an intellectual pursuit of melancholy, and then what it means to think about melancholy in the time of a pandemic. There are a thousand and one ways to define melancholy. It can be used to describe a person's state of mind, a cultural moment, a political temper, a literary technique, and even a personality trait. Speaking of personality traits, my friends have always called out my very melancholic nature. And in praise of melancholy, I always respond by saying that it is in the nature of creative people to be melancholic. And I would often quote Nietzsche, who said that a certain amount of melancholy is essential to the soul. Little did I know that the subjects would come to occupy my thinking for four years as a doctoral fellow in South Africa. I was born in a relatively small town called Ijebuigo in southwestern Nigeria. It was where I spent my entire childhood and the memories of those days always returned to me with so much fondness. But I would say that I spent my formative and adult years in Ibado, one of Nigeria's most popular and populous cities. I had my undergraduate and master's degrees at the University of Ibado, Nigeria's premier university. I worked in the same city for a few years before relocating to South Africa. My preoccupation with the question of home started after my relocation to South Africa. While I am not currently homeless, I often feel unhomed. I worry about these occasional feeling of tenuous belongings. But in all, I have come to realize that sometimes home is a fragile illusion, a dazzling mirage. I left my home country with a truckload of happiness and expectations. I left home knowing full well that proof of one's education is not only in degree certificates, but also in the experience of traveling in the experience of exploring the world. But not very long after my relocation to South Africa, it dawned on me that the experience of migration in and of itself is based on a structure of grief. Because when one leaves home, one must grieve a host of concrete and abstract losses. It is after you leave home that home becomes a question. It is after you leave home that home becomes an object of a romanticized longing and an effusive nostalgia. It was after I read the now Mengestu's Children of the Revolution that I finally diagnosed myself of what I am describing as an immigrant's melancholia. This, of course, speaks to the power of literature to point out the universality and specificity of human experiences, as well as relationality of identities. The now Mengestu's novel is about an Ethiopian man by the name Sefa, who fled to America during the Ethiopian Revolution of the 1970s. After 17 years in America, Sefer asks himself, quote, how did I end up here? What is the grand narrative of my life? End of quote. 
At another moment, he asked himself, quote, how was I supposed to live in America when I had not left Ethiopia? End of quote. The situation of Sefa is very, very different from my situation. Sefa is an involuntary migrant in America, while I am in South Africa on a study visa. But his experience opened my eyes to the winter in the soul of many immigrants. It shows the migratory grief and existential dilemmas which most immigrants, whether voluntary or involuntary, have to confront. It reveals how the experience of willful and unwillful displacement follows a similar psychic logic. Dinao Mengesto's novel was part of the novels that I analyzed in my PhD, which was on the representation of memory in post-conflict African novels. I realized at a very initial stage of my PhD that the question of memory, especially in post-conflict contexts, is also a question of mourning. The question of mourning, in the way Sigmund Freud articulates it, is a question of melancholy. In fact, it was in my chapter on South Africa that I discovered that post-apartheid literary works gesture toward an idea of memory and melancholia as a social practice. They suggest that the multi-layered sense of loss that characterizes post-apartheid South Africa turns melancholia into an affective structure of the everyday. It is also from these South African literary works that I discovered that melancholia is not simply an inability to mourn the past, but also an inability to be consoled by history. But this is not my concern in this podcast. In this podcast, I want to bring my four years of thinking about melancholy to bear in this time of a pandemic. I want to talk about melancholy in the regime of the viral. Since the lockdown began, many remarkable things have happened in my life, most notably of which is that I finished my PhD. It is also remarkable that I have been forced to sit with my thoughts and to sit by myself for an unbearably long period of time. I have been made to reckon with the monotony of my own forlornness. The overflowing joy of completing a PhD was almost consumed by the overwhelming sense of isolation. But these melancholic moments have made me consider the broader social, psychological and political anatomy of melancholy in the age of COVID-19. I want to weigh in on these melancholic moments during the pandemic. I want to map out those moments when the socio-political temper was nothing but melancholic. For the purpose of this podcast, my understanding of melancholy is guided by what Robert Burton in his book, The Anatomy of Melancholy, describes as an amalgam of fear, grief, loss, and dying. Because of the numerous wars that marked the 20th century, many scholars refer to it as the century of catastrophe. I wonder if it is rather too early to tag the 21st century as a century of despair. Because while we are still dealing with the atrocities of the previous century, we are also faced with the gory effects of climate change. In addition to that, we have had to deal with the swine flu, Ebola, SARS, and now COVID-19. If I won't be exaggerating, it is almost as if we are witnessing a real-life reenactment of Daniel Defoe's A Journal of the Plague Year or Albert Camus' The Plague. 
except that at this point in time, the plague is not limited to London or the French Algerian city of Oran. It is a global plague. The year 2020 slaps our precarity on our faces and makes us more than ever to reckon with our interconnected but unequally distributed vulnerabilities. Perhaps what is more troubling than the existence of the existence of coronavirus is the fact that we do not know all the facts about the virus. Besides the microscopic nature of the virus, the virus seems to thrive and is shrouded in mystery. Scientists are still discovering and re-examining the modes of transmission, potential mutations and immunity to the virus. Accompanied with this is the infodemic of misinformation that is inflicted on us by the media. The question of the media, what is said and what is not said, feeds into our feeling of fear and outrage. We are overcome with a pervading sense of confusion and uncertainty. Our lack of a clear cognitive mapping of the virus has led to the sad realization that everything is not under control. The sad realization that the world in its current form is disappearing. As a consequence, we have seen a dramatic increase in cases of depression, anxiety and suicide on a global level. At first, our response to the virus was a kind of paranoia, which found expression in panic buying and needless hoardings. From there, we reclined into a season of melancholy. The isolation brought upon us by the lockdown aggravated this melancholic atmosphere. There was a kind of social and even cultural moroseness that accompanied our state of immobility. And I invoke the word immobility here in all its ramifications. The pandemic is apparently not just an epidemiological crisis. It is also a political and existential and an economic crisis. Scholars have talked about how the pandemic creates an economic contraction, which will inevitably be followed by a global financial crisis. Many economies are under severe pressure, which, if care is not, at, if care is not taken, might make us to relieve the Great Depression of the 1930s. The World Bank estimates that as many as 60 million people globally will be pushed into extreme poverty. The impact of COVID-19 has again revealed to us the stark structural inequalities in our world. It has again exposed the failures of neoliberalism for everyone who cares to notice. We are also witnessing the violence of disaster capitalism on the already depressed labor market. Besides the economic depression, we are also witnessing a melancholy of politics, or what might be called political melancholy. The mystifying nature of the virus has led to inconsistent national policies. For instance, at some point in South Africa and many other countries, we were moving back and forth in the stages of the lockdown. Perhaps the more pressing challenge is that the battle against the pandemic is becoming longer than expected. And as a result, many countries are beginning to experience a response fatigue due to the mounting socioeconomic pressures. The unprecedented scale of loss at individual and national levels is another source of COVID-19 melancholy. Many people have lost their jobs, lost a loved one, lost their sense of peace and security, 
and most importantly, their sense of normality. As Slavoj Žižek in his book COVID-19 Shakes the World puts it, quote, the reality we are living in is dissolving. It is no longer the same world, so people are at a loss, end of quote. How do we even begin to collectively mourn these losses? This sense of loss becomes compounded when we realize that there are more losses waiting for us post-COVID. The weight of our losses would only begin to be felt after COVID-19 is behind us. Our current state of grief is then complicated with another kind of grief, an anticipatory grief. We are subliminally grieving what we have not yet lost, and we are grieved by the uncertainty of our collective future. We are in some sort of pre-traumatic stage where we see or imagine flash-forwards of the worst-case scenarios. Another COVID-19 question would be, what does it mean to live in a time of dying? We seem to be under a cloud of death. We are overcome by the strange smell of death, the ominous festival of dying. Funeral parlors are overwhelmed and coffin makers are unable to meet the rising demands for coffins. As someone said, in the end and at its core, the corona crisis is about death, our deep-seated fear of death. This harvest of death is compounded with the fact that many people are forced to do funerals in isolation. Many are left in solitary grief. As I speak, things are gradually becoming stabilized in South Africa, although there is a looming fear of a second wave of infections. But I still cannot dust off my struggle to envision a post-COVID future. For now, all I see is a future pregnant with uncertainties, but also a future begging for foresightedness. As I make this podcast, I have asked myself over and over again, are we still in a state of melancholy? Maybe, or maybe not. But I do know that there are different stages of grief, and we are still grieving. I do know that melancholy is not necessarily in the now, it is in the inventory of losses that we are yet to come to terms with. It is in the anticipated reckonings that have been postponed to a post-COVID timescape. Maybe it is just my very melancholic nature that makes me read the current socio-political climate as gloomy. Maybe it is why I fail to see an exciting post-COVID world. Only time can tell. <laughs>